0: Comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. You're listening to The Black. Welcome back to The Black Box, an LOI Studios production. I'm your host, Sean Pryor. Before we get to this week's interview with Eisner-nominated letterer Darren Bennett, really great episode. I really hope you enjoy it. I've, I know you will, but anyway. If you have a moment and you're near your computer, I want you to check out our website. The website is LOI Studios. That's all one word, LOI Studios.com. Myself, along with nine other talented individuals, have decided to form our own studio, and I want you to see what LOI Studios is all about. I'm going to talk about it in a future episode. Go a little bit more in depth with it. But I want you to go take a look. And it's um, this is one of the reasons why I closed down PKD Media, the former small press uh, publishing, small press media joint that um, I started back in 2007. And you know I jumped on Action Lab and been part of Action Lab ever since. And I hadn't done anything with PKD Media in years. And I needed and I wanted to do something that represents what I'm trying to do in comics and other forms of media and also at the same time introduce more people to a bunch of talented individuals that, um, you know, I will or have collaborated with over the last few years and also will be collaborating with in the future as well in, in a studio form. And so if you get a moment, check out loistudios.com. Uh, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's a culmination of everything artistic with myself and nine other talented individuals in all forms of the artistic mediums, whether it be art, uh, writing, uh, filmmaking, podcasting, all this stuff. It's just one big gumbo stew of awesomeness. I know awesomeness isn't a word, but I'm using it anyway. But um, please, check out LOistudios.com. I don't think you'll be disappointed in it at all. I think you'll really dig it. Like I said, this is what one of the things that I'm trying to do. Uh, no, this isn't something that is uh, competing with Action Lab. This is just a studio. So go check out the website and see what I'm talking about. LOistudios.com. Once again, LOistudios.com. I will go a little bit more in depth with it on our next episode because I'm really anxious for y'all to check out this interview with Darren Bennett. So without further ado, let's get to our feature presentation. I am on the line right now with a gentleman that I'm sure you have you have heard of, and if you haven't, I'm going to tell you about him right now. Um, his gentleman's name is Deron Bennett, and according to his uh, biography on the Ann World Design website, uh, Deron Bennett was destined, or so he was told, to become the next Walt Disney. Drawing curious characters and inventing stories was easy enough for him, but the prospect of building an amusement park seemed a bit complicated. Fortunately, he turned his eye to the comic books that became his source of inspiration and pursued a career. In sequential art. Duran currently provides lettering services to several comic book companies, including Boom Studios, Marvel Entertainment, DC Comics, Archaea Comics, and many more. Duran, nor his lettering company, and World Design, are probably not household names yet, but they will be, or so he was told. He is the Eisner nominated letterer for Jim Henson's Tale of Sand. Um, he's also lettered Jim Henson's Dark Crystal, Mr. Murder is Dead, Billy Fogg, Heldorado, Richie Rich, and so many more books out there. And I'm sure you know this person's name, but if you're not, you're going to know it now. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only Mr. Deron Bennett. Deron, how you doing, sir?
1: I'm doing great, man. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Uh, <laughs> you got it. I got to change up that that bio. I mean, <laughs> I, just you hear and you read it, just like I, I sound a little pretentious there. Let
0: me let me change that. <laughs> um you all right. Don't man. Don't even sweat it. But if you feel you're gonna need to go change it, go change it. But the proof is in the pudding because you put in work. So there you go. I hate you it. know ain't ain't no thing, man. No, we're here today because um, on the Black Box podcast we talked about like a lot of different stuff, especially with comics and comics creators. But the one thing we really haven't. Um you know, done on this show is talk about the art of comic book lettering, and I think that's something that's very important because sometimes in comics we get all caught up in the art or we get caught up in the writing or you know in the in the creation of comics, but sometimes the things that fall to the wayside that people don't talk about a lot are lettering um, inking and and coloring and and without lettering. Nine times out of ten, unless you're doing the silent issue of G.I. Joe, um, you know, you can't tell a story without lettering. So it's something that's very important. So I wanted to talk with um, with Deron because Deron is in the game. He letters a lot of comic books and does an excellent job on it. And so I just wanted to get his insight on lettering. And that is why he is here today. Now, um, my first question for you um, is. What drove your passion to lettering and design and when was that moment where you said this is it? This is what I want to do
1: Uh, I I can't exactly you know pinpoint when I totally fell in love with lettering, but I I do know it was um early on I I was working for uh, Tokyo pop that's that's where I started lettering it was um I was doing manga and it's a totally different ballgame from traditional lettering traditional Western comics, but you know, I, I started doing that and um, every time I had to pick and choose a font, it was just like, you know, what? I, I think if I, I created some sort of uh, font for this or worked with typography enough for uh, a specific character or whatever, I could, I could come up with something better than with what's already out there. And so, you know, I just started rattling off. Ideas drawing uh, instead of drawing characters like I was used to doing, I'm drawing letters now, and and that sort of thing just developed into more of a passion for the for the design side of things and and designing um, logos and everything like that. It just opened up a whole new world to me as far as comics go, and so I I really fell in love with lettering. I, I I came into lettering thinking, you know, this is a stepping stone into you know. Uh, uh, illustrating, or, or um, becoming a penciler, or, or even a colorist, or anything beyond that. But then I, I just uh, saw that this was what I wanted to do, and so you know, I just finally buckled down and, and got every piece of software, every piece of book that I can get on lettering, um, typography. Not even just comic book lettering, just anything that had to do with um, with with design, graphic design, because that's really what lettering comes down to. It's 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 more, of a an art form than people really think it is. They think it's just you know copy pasting words onto the, the artist's um, pencils, mm-hmm. but it's just more than that. It's, it's it's graphic design, and you have to think in terms of of the rules of graphic design, and it's it's totally an art form in itself as far as um, design goes. So it became a passion for me. I, I guess around you know when um when I started out. At Tokyo Pop, maybe a year or two into that. Mm-hmm.
0: I'd say so. Uh, nice, nice. Now, now what was the, f- the very first book at Tokyo Pop that you lettered?
1: Scryed. I remember it clearly <laughs> <laughs> because I was I was in over my head. I think um, because, like I said, uh, manga has its its own challenges as far as um, as far as lettering goes, and I was used to doing lettering um, in Quark and and different programs that I learned. In school and i came fresh off the off the boat into tokyo pop and they put me on um one of their books and um i have to do a retouch now you know and, and this is um one of the challenges with manga that you don't have in traditional comics um you're taking out japanese um letters you're taking out japanese words and where you take it out that's existing on top of the art mm-hmm. it there leaves a big hole. You know, you got a big erased mark on top of the art. And you have to redraw that in or, or you know, kind of um, take samples from other parts of the page to fill that in. And so that, you know, was, was just a, a big challenge to me, that to make this seamless artwork underneath my letters. That was um, something that I wasn't used to. And so I, I was totally in over my head. If you go back and look at these issues... You can tell that some inept <laughs> dude was working on on these books, and uh, I, I just fell backwards into it and and came out came out looking good. I, I, I would hope so, so that they gave me more work. so I, I can't complain too much, but I know I was I was just a mess back then, and I thankfully i have gotten better. Over
0: <laughs> well, you know, we all start somewhere. We, we have to start somewhere. If not, we wouldn't be where we are today
1: that's the truth man
0: that's the truth you know and then we, we, we learn from our mistakes and we try to and we grow we grow as individuals and as creators or artists and designers in order to you know continue to you know progress forward eventually we might start making like Sean Puffy Combs money but, oh, yeah. uh, but, if, but if not we continue to do it for the love because this is what we love to do First time seeing, first time really uh, seeing your name. Um, a friend of mine um, had had a, had thrown like some bo- some books in a box and sent them to me, and it was an issue of uh, Disney's Hero Squad, <coughs> and it was issue. If I remember right, it was issue number. He gave because he gave me like odd issues. He gave me like issues two, five, and seven. And so I was like, I guess you want me to go try to find one, to try to find the rest of the run so I can find out what's going on. But I was like, I'm pretty sure it's a Disney book. It's going to be one and done stories and it won't be something convoluted. And I was reading Hero Squad and I was like, oh, and that was like letters by DeRon Bennett. So I was looking, I was like, you know, the art's really nice. And I didn't know if this was a book that came from overseas that you know that was ported over and then you know possibly either you know had to be relettered or or touched up because like some of that disney stuff that boom that boom had was stuff that was actually foreign that was brought over here. And so I was looking and I was like man the you know, the lettering is really really nice in this book and that was one of the first times that that um I, you know, like I said, I know it's your name. I was like, oh, okay. It's like Deron Ben. I was like, this dude is on it. I was like, this is nice. And then later on, I'd read Richie Rich and I saw your name again. And then, you know, I was following you on Twitter, and I started following you on Twitter. And then, like, I'm just like looking over all these things that you've done. I was just like, man, this dude is put in work. And it's just like, and this is the time I also really started to pay attention to the process of lettering. I mean, I know way back when. When, you know, before the age of like, you know, before technology really got hard into the game, you know, a lot of, a lot of the majority of the lettering, I mean, it was all done by hand. Right. And and like and, and the kid, the kid in me in the 80s didn't really care about that, because as long as I got my books, that's all that mattered. But now going back and thinking about it, you know, that was a lot of work. That's that was a lot of processes. But I think the thing is, is that people get it twisted and they think now that technology is a part of part of making comics they just think oh well lettering is even more easy now and it's, and it's not and this actually leads me to my next question and this is actually something that i saw you and uh the gentleman that uh helped create a uh, blambot talk about um in the fact that um you talk about how artists um artists who need to properly size their art before lettering and its importance and see this is something that i, that I need to person that i want to understand better so Why is it important that artists properly size their art before lettering?
1: There's a whole bunch of things that can go wrong as soon as you don't size your lettering. And uh, actually, um, when we were talking about this, I pulled up an article that I, uh, not even an article, a blog um, that I've written. And it just went in the ends of it because I was on a a rampage one day. Um, (laughs) Somebody (laughs) sent a, a page or a book to me that had every single page Size differently, and I'm not going to point out any fingers or call out any names, but
0: oh man,
1: <laughs> it was just a mess, and it, it happens a lot, you know, it's, it's just something that uh we go through, and it's just one of those things that you, you want to kind of correct before it comes to um before it comes to the letter. We're the last man on the totem pole, and um, I was talking to somebody about how, in, in comics, it's, it's like an assembly line of work. We mm-hmm. get it from the artist, going to the colorist, or, or we start with the writer. All right, so the writer um, gives it off to artists artist, and the artist gives it off to colorist, and then I finally get the um, the pages late later on in stage. And you don't want to end up with the prototype first and let off the prototype. Yeah. Like if, if that if that occurs, you know, if, if we were doing that on assembling out of cars, you know, cars wouldn't wouldn't look right in the end, <laughs> and so. That's the same thing with lettering. You, you want that thing to look right as it goes out to print. And if you do not set up your, your pages properly, um, I, of course, I, I'm going to do what I can to to correct the issues as, as the, the prep guy. Um, and that's another thing with lettering. Um, a lot of people don't realize most of the letterers are doing the, the prep for print. We're, we're setting up the pages, making sure every, every spec is right and um, before it goes out to print. We make sure that these are the final the final pages and everything looks good. Um, so if it doesn't have proper sizing, you're going to wind up with either like oversized or undersized pages. You can get some printing issues, some spacing issues. Um, things can get cut off where you didn't expect them to cut off. Mm-hmm. So if you're not drawing things to, to proportion or to scale, I I'm, I'm, might be chopping off something that you really wanted in the art or, or leaving very little space for me to, to put the letters in, whereas now I might be covering up something that you really wanted to shine on your page. And so it's important that you, you kind of get it right and you, and you hit the nail on the head with um, digital. Everybody thinks that because things are digital. And I, I kind of got this off my wife because I, I bounced this off her. Like, why, why does everybody think that, you know, because you send me this page, I can get it to the right size. Well, she thinks because it's digital now, that we can shrink or grow pages and manipulate them in any which way that we want that they, you know, they they can show as the way the artist intended them to appear. Not true.
0: No, know, so not true.
1: Not true at all. You know, squares do not scale into rectangles. Like if you draw something <laughs> in a square shape, I cannot size that to a rectangle. I'm going to stretch your page out, it's going to look awful and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can't do that. And so. Um, When I'm resizing a page, I want to make sure it looks the way the artist intended it. And if um, I'm not given a page that is sized properly, it it creates a bunch of um, circumstances that, that, you know, I'd I'd rather not deal with. I'd rather have that taken care of ahead of time. Um, And like I said, I I do take care of it as best I can. And, you know, I've never had any problems, but um, it just puts um, the, the burden on me to make sure it looks good, um, whereas it, that probably could have been taken care of early on in the process.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and not only that, but you talk about resizing pages. Um, when it comes, like, also, like, just resizing artwork, period, I think something else people don't understand is, especially even, even certain artists don't really understand this. Now, there, there are plenty who do get it right, but, um, but say, for instance, if, the, if you get a page that needs to be resized, if it's a certain resolution... <laughs> um, and it needs to be sized up. If it needs to be bumped up, like say for instance, one thing, like if somebody gives you a page at like 600 DPI and it actually needs to be bigger, well, and then normally when you, when you send a, a book to print, they want it at 300 DPI. Um, normally, um, as far as like all the printers that I've dealt with. So, yeah, I can take a 600 DPI page and bump the uh, DPI down to 300 and make it larger and then there not be any problems um, because of the actual DPI of the page. But say, for instance, if you just give me a 300 DPI page and the page or, the certain, or certain things just aren't sized properly, I need to make it bigger, then we're going to have pixelation. There's a pot strong possibility that we'll have pixelation issues and all other types of things that just ruin, that ruin the page altogether. And so that does me no good exactly
1: exactly resolution is a big factor and um, you know I don't think um, people who are, are not used to digital they they don't get that yet and you know so it's, it's it's up to them to to get informed and I try my best to, to inform you know new artists out there as to as to what to expect or what to to look for and you're exactly right you know I can I can scale up a a high resolution page high enough resolution it's got to be higher than than 300 I can scale it up but, yeah it, um, if, we got, if we start off at, at print ready resolution, which is the 300, we, we cannot scale that up. Either. Otherwise, you know, yeah, you're going to run up with some deterioration, some pixelation, and it's just not going to look as pretty. And that's a big issue.
0: Oh, yeah. Yes. There, there, as, 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 I, as I tell people, salt will be thrown. I will, be, I will be salty if it's, if something is not turned in properly. I remember many years ago, um, while I was like you know just like doing doing my own thing, trying to like just um, independently publish books. Um, I, you know, an artist turned in some work, and this was for like a project that I actually and never you know saw the light of day. And I was so excited to get the pages so I could give them to a friend to letter them. And he sent the pages seven inches by ten point 10. five inches inches, which is fine because that's mm. what I wanted seventy two DPI. Mm. Wow! <laughs> so I literally just wanted to grab like a a big container of Morton's and just go to his house and just <laughs> sprinkle it all over him because I was I mean I was not happy, but but then again, but also at the same time, it's one of those things where if you have a general understanding, because here I am thinking that this person knew that anything that has to be print ready has to be 300 dpi or more but he didn't know so i just gave him a call he was like oh my bad here we go 300 dpi and i was Mm -hmm. and everything was cool but but stuff like that man it'll make you scream oh yeah and and you you would think in the business especially with all the books that you do and all the high profile companies that you work for that those artists or those people would already know the games
1: right right that
0: doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. But we, like I said before, we just have to do what we got to do, make sure that it gets done. But, um, uh... You know, we've been talking about digital because, like I said, a lot of this nowadays is digital and it's just a really big part of the comics game. Shoot this question to you. Sometimes I wonder because you like uh, you said, your wife has said because it's digital, people just think it's easy. And it's pretty much been like, you know, stro- like a like a paint stroke. It's just like like a paintbrush and just strokes across a, pe- a piece of paper and people just accept it as stat quo. And I think a lot of that just has to do with like a lot of people that are inexperienced as far as readers and whatnot, thinking that. Um, everything is just easy because we have computers, everything is easy, and it 's not easy. I mean we even have and i 'm sure you 've seen it on the internet where you 'll have like those like uh, cheap little internet ads that say you know turn your picture into art or draw yourself like this. the computer you know these these programs can do it for you right. And people just think that comics are made from magic a- and they 're not and I guess and this is like a a very I don't want to say vague, but it's a pretty open-ended question, I guess. How do we fix... How can we? How can we fix the perception of comics? How can we fix the perception of how comics are created so people don't think that it's just, like, done in a microwave?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a
0: tough one. Yeah, it's, it's a loaded question. It's a, it's a, it's a loaded question because there is no perfect answer for it. But I, I just wanted to throw it out there, you know, just to get your opinion.
1: I hear you. Um, I think it's a, a lot of, you know, just... Sit down and, and you, you gotta you gotta talk to people, man. You gotta talk to people. I have a lot of relatives who don't even know that comics still exist as an art form, and so, and not even just as an art form, just that exists. And so, I think it's up to us, you know, people who are in the game, to 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 get out there and talk to people. Don't just see them at the convention, you know. Um, one of one of the guys I work with, Joe Mulvey, he, he is very very out there, just just letting people know he does he does a a um, blog talking about what do you really know about comics and he gets out there and, and reaches out to people who don't know about comics and and just lets them know you know it's it's out there it's an art form and I think that's part of what we need to do it's it's a part of our responsibility to discuss with people that this is this is something you know we, we talk about movies every day we talk about music every day mm-hmm. we talk about you know television um, so. You know, while while we're having these conversations, why can't we tell it's like a taboo to talk about comics? And yeah. so I think, you know, we got to get rid of that stigmatism by openly discussing just having the comment. Hey, have you read this? Have you have you um, tried this book or, you know, what, what sort of things do you read? Maybe I can put you onto something new. Um, what kind of artists do you like? And, and oh, I know this artist. He's done this, this, this and this. But he's also done this comic. And you can you can check this out or he has a style like this artist you might like so it's it's really you know just kind of working that in working that angle and it's not as easy as it sounds because right. like i said there's that that stigma that taboo that comics are childish or or comics aren't for me and and so it's it's something we really have to work at to just break down those walls and and just make it you know an acceptable art form as it should be it should be up there on your bookshelves or or in your in your iPads now, you know it's, it's we we got this whole digital game, um, where you know download the Comicsology app and, and and show these people you know that hey look check this out this is this is a viable source of entertainment for you and and um, you know get it get the word out spread the word it's mm-hmm. up to us that's our responsibility we love this this craft so much it's our responsibility to let people know why we love it.
0: True. And I think another thing that plays into it, how you said, like, you know, people know about TV shows, they know about music, they know about movies. And I think the whole thing with that is, is that that stuff has always been so public. Mm -hmm. I mean, massively public. And it's and, and the general public has always been there for its constant evolution or sometimes um stagnation it's always they've always been people have always been involved in it it's always been around whereas comics up until like sometime and i want to say like the probably even in up into through the 90s uh through the comics through the comics boom then bust people knew about comics but still also at the same time there were a ton of shops. Up through the up through the comics boom, there were a ton of shops all across America. So, and also, comics could still be found in certain places other than comic book stores. Because around, let's say, like you know, the mid to late '80s, early '90s, that's you know, comics were being you know, newsstands that started to turn away from comics. Mm-hmm. And so, in order to you know, comics to save themselves, they had to invest into the direct market. Now, granted, that was also during a time where you had so many distributors, you just didn't have one. You had a lot. So there are always ways for books to find themselves in places other than just comic book stores. And so it wasn't a specialty still. And the thing is, is that nowadays, in most spots, depending on where you live, comic books are more of a specialty shop thing. It's a niche thing. And, and which, which then, when, it, when something becomes a niche, it doesn't get exposed to everyone. So then it becomes more difficult to find, and then it becomes forgotten. But you know, like you so said, you're right. It's up to us. But I think it's because a lot of it has to do with the fact that you know, comic stores aren't like a Walmart. They're not like you know your your you know your movie theater that tells you, hey, this movie's here, or you see that movie that, that commercial television for the movie, so you'll go see the movie. You know, advertising is a is a very is a very expensive game, depending on where you try to fit in. Um, and then, you know, even then when you try to advertise these books, whether using the internet or like Marvel does using sports radio, um, I not you know, well, I won't even get into that because I, I because you, you know, I know you try, you try to reach people, but sports radio, I kind of find that kind of funny. Um, yeah. but, uh, but yeah. I, I guess you trying, so I, I can't be mad. I just give you a Kanye shrug. And I just move on the more people know you're right. The more people know the more they'll start to accept and believe it It's like with cartoons. How long did it take for people to realize that the Simpsons was not a kid's cartoon? Right, right. You know, it's the same with Family Guy people thought "Oh, that's for kids. I'm like Do you need to really watch that? You know, what I'm saying you need to really sit down and watch that before you just say Oh, that's for kids and now there's this acceptance now there is an honest acceptance of people starting to pay attention as far as animation goes. What is for adults and what is for kids? There's still plenty who don't, but there's this now there's that separation where it just used to be this carte blanche statement: cartoons are for kids. Yeah, and it's not it's not like that anymore. So now we just got to find a way to tell people, yo, the comic books are literally there's something for everybody.
1: That's exactly it, man. I mean, you're, you're right. You know, animation. You know just for kids, whatever. I remember watching the Simpsons back in the day and, you know, I, some of them jokes probably went over my head. I, I was just a little kid, just watching Bart doing some crazy mess. And, you know, and nowadays those, those are the evening television that, that most people watch. If I actually you what you watch, um, nine times out of 10, I hear family guy. I hear, um, I, I like, I, like I was telling you earlier, I, I don't even watch these shows anymore, but yeah, I hear, I hear all these things like, um, American Dad or yeah. or uh, I can't even think of the names of the shows but you know these, these animated shows they are part of the mainstream now and we, we have to show people that comics have that diversity where you can find something um, something for your taste or whatever they may be
0: Months ago, I went to visit a friend, a friend of mine in Ohio, and he had, like, all these, like, trade paperbacks, like, on his shelf, and he was just like, have you read this? Have you read this? Have you read this? And he pulled out a copy of Jim Henson's Tale of Sand, and he was and he was like, I need you to look at this right now if you have not read this before. And I said, all right, cool. I'll check it. And I started to look through it and, like, just became, like, captivated by it because it's such a beautiful book. And, um, you know, the line work is great. The storytelling is great. And I remember... Um, a few months later, I was, uh, or a month or two later, I was on the internet just trying to do some research on Taylor of Sand, and I came up on an iFanboy article, and they were talking about like all the wonders of uh, Ramon K. Perez in the book, and then there was something where they said, um, they're talking about the lettering, and they said how um, the lettering was derived derived from Henson's own handwriting, and but the letterer is not you is not mentioned in, in this article. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, it's all about Ramon K. Perez, and that's that's good and fine, but it's, you know, but when, when, it, when, I, when I saw that it said the lettering was derived from Henson's own handwriting, I'm like, okay, that means that Duran had to put in work in order to create that font, in order to create that handwriting. I'm like, that's work. You know, it's, once again, it's not magic. What I wanted to talk to you about is is the process of you being able to, you know, create, like a you know a font for lettering based off of uh, Jim Henson's handwriting and how big of a challenge was that
1: Oh that was that was something that you know I felt really blessed to be a part of because it was Jim Henson you know and I couldn't ask for any more on this book this book was was really special to all of us who were working on it and we we knew from the gate that we wanted to do big things with it. It was, a uh, you know, a, a vision there. Um, and initially it was just going to be just, just hand lettered, straight up hand lettered. And, um, Chris Robinson approached me and asked me if I could do the hand lettering on it. And I was like, uh, you know what, I'll take a stab at it. And my initial, um, work on it wasn't up to snuff. And I was just like, you know what, let, let's, let's try a different direction. So we, we bounced some ideas around and, and then finally, uh, and Christie came up with the idea to take, jim henson's handwriting and turn that into um something usable a font that we can use inside of the book and just just work that and just make everything authentic everything you know just with the the henson legacy and so um what we did was we got a bunch of samples of his his uh storyboards and it had just every case i can i could use and it was it was just you know a great reference material great wealth of reference material that they, they provided me with and um, so we, we took that and we worked worked out the, the first batch sent that over to, to um, Jim Henson company they looked it over and said you know we can tweak this letter we can tweak this so we would, like you said it, it is a process and I don't I don't think people understand what goes into making a font. And so people like myself um, and um, Nate Peikos, um we we kind of educate people about this process that it is. And it's, 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 not, you know, quick and easy, not, um, some quick and dirty work that you can just, you know, put a, put a letter together and it, it's just, bam magic. Um, yeah. and took, you know, a couple weeks to get it right. Um, well, well close to a month to get it right. And we got this bad boy and it was, is it's really special to me. You know, I, it's, um, one of the things that I, I, kind of uh want to share with with uh my, my kids like look look what daddy did <laughs> this is this is the this is the stuff you know that i look forward to when i can like when we were talking about earlier why i decided to become a letter of stuff like this this is this is exactly why you know i'm designing a font based off of a legend's handwriting and yeah. that's totally cool with me
0: in all seriousness it was it was a am- Amazing to me, the lettering definitely did more than just serve a purpose in the, in that story as a whole um it was just a whole collaborative effort, and it's one of those books where you just you actually can tell that it was a collaborative effort not not in saying that like, okay, this person didn't put in enough work, so this person made up for it. not in that sense it's just it was everything blended together so well that it became one piece. There are a lot of comic books that you can read where the art might be nice, but everything else falls apart. Like the coloring might not be on point, so then that makes the artwork lo- look less. Or the writer got a little bit too wordy, so like the letter tried to make up for it as much as he or she could, and it and it still it still didn't come out right. So it so the comic is broken. And like there are those instances where all sides come together and merge and just basically form up like Voltron, and it just comes out smooth. And that's what Tale of Sand did. And and that's what I, that's the thing I love about. I love about comics is that when it's right, it's it's just it's beautiful. Yeah, you, you know what I mean? But and you can always tell and you can always tell when it's a rush job. And, oh, and, and like with Taylor saying there was no rush job, it was beautiful. But no, I mean, like and I know you <clears throat> I know you've seen your share of rush jobs you know, I, I you know i know you've seen them i mean i'm not saying that like you know you were a part of them but i'm like you you've read enough comics to know say oh I'm, damn i'm man.
1: humble enough to let you know i've been a part of them <laughs> I've, been a part, I've been under the gun where okay. i had to kick out some some dirt that i'm not proud of
0: <laughs> but, okay All right. fair enough fair enough you know hey you know
1: it happens and then, uh, you know uh, what, what i like to to pride myself on if i can is that even my rush jobs i'm trying to make I'm trying to make it happen. You know, I'm not, I'm not just kicking it out, thinking, hey, you know, forget about you. Nobody's going to see this. I know people are going to see it. They're going to see my work. And so even, even under the gun, you, you gotta, you gotta put your, your, your good game in, you know, and just be whatever BS you think you can kick out. It's gotta be, it's gotta be tight.
0: How do you think that like websites like blambot have helped bring a better awareness to like font creation and lettering
1: i think that uh, um, you know um Blambot, uh comic book uh fonts.com that's um comic comic crafts uh, site they, they've done a lot to help you know because they have information on their sites that you know you you might have to pay for with within um you know book or whatever but it's it's right there you know they're, they're showing you um lettering conventions that you should you should really get those concepts down. And it might be something simple as, you know, what a burst balloon should look like or what whispering should look like. Mm-hmm. You know, but these things are integral into what we do. You you have to know how to use these, these conventions and, and these styles and you know make them make them work into the comic book page. And so um, the bland bot they they have uh, a bunch of pages Do's and don'ts of the comic book lettering um, world, and the comicbookfonts.com. It has tips and tricks on how to create certain balloons, certain you know, um, like I said, you get the the electric balloons or trying to do certain effects, um, masking, everything like that. And so, if you're just starting out, these are pages, you should websites you should go to to learn what you should be doing. And also what you shouldn't be doing. It goes a long way to helping guys like me. When I first started with Western comic books, like I said, I I started out with manga. And so um, they're two different worlds. And when I first got my first gig um, with a Western comic book, it was um, over with Marvel. And I wanted to do the absolute best I could. This was Marvel. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm I'm looking around on on these websites trying to figure out what what can I do to, to make this something that, that the readers already know. You know, they're there are conventions that, that readers identify with. It's like if you want to create somebody who is whispering, you don't just throw in any old balloon. You have to have, you know, the, the dotted balloon or a uh, smaller font or whatever. All these different things that are already established. You have to look at and, and sites like this were my go-to sites um to learn things like that. And then I, I also pick the brains of Uh, my contemporaries Um, you know I I emailed reached out to whoever I'm I'm, you know one of those guys who I don't feel like you can what what I want to say you can't really just do what you want to do you have to find out what the people who are established are doing and and live up to that and so I I reached out to the letters that I knew were already in the game and I'm talking to them like all right, well, you know, I, I noticed a, a lot of people are using um, their own fonts. Um, should that be something I'm doing? Should I use the Comic-Craft comic font? Should I use this font? And they're telling me, you know, giving me my advice. And, and that when I got my start, it was very much appreciated. And so guys teaching you these things early on, you know, don't don't take it for granted because they're, they're there for a reason. They're there to help you out and, and make you go far in your career. And so that's, you know. I, I thank these guys who are making these these sites and putting this information out there educating others yeah. and so in turn i want to do the same so i'm on twitter when somebody shoots out a question about lettering i'm one of the first people who are trying to hop on with an answer and, and teach you what you should be doing from what you shouldn't be doing because mm-hmm. it's, it's really part of that give and take of our industry
0: yeah, the information is definitely out there i mean I've even seen to a point where not only do you have things like you know like lettering, like lettering advice and and you know advice and tutorials and whatnot. But I mean, but man, I've seen like tutorials on inking, digital inking. Um, I mean, you color, especially coloring. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy the amount of material that's out there for people to be able to just absorb for free. Right you know, for, for free, and I mean, you can literally, you know, become, you know, you know, become your own personal industry. Now, granted, like I always try to explain to people, just because the stuff is out there doesn't mean that you're automatically going to become an expert. I mean, it takes work, and it takes work, it takes patience. You have to build a craft, and I think that's the other thing when it comes to comics that, like, a lot of people don't understand. It's like anything, like, any other form of like production manufacturing creation or art or just art period everything is a craft uh-huh. you know it doesn't matter if you are making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or you know or if you're making the hottest comic ever or the greatest movie ever there's a craft to it there's a craft to what you do there is no such thing as instant success in this. And for those that have that instant success, it's, that's like a one, a one in a gajillion chance. You know what I mean? Of that, something like that happening where you just get it and then when you got it and you just take off like a rocket. But in the real world, it is a craft that you have to, that you have to hone, that you have to, you know, that you have to work hard at. And then when you get it, you're good. And and not only that, but even when you get it, you still have to keep learning because the game keeps changing. Yes.
1: Yes, sir. I completely agree with that. You know, you you don't stop. You don't stop. You you, you keep digging, keep digging, keep digging. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I used to teach. I used to teach graphic design over at a um, technical school. And that's the same thing. I would just that was my mantra. You know, don't stop learning. Don't stop learning. You're a lifelong learner. Whether, you know, you think you know it, you know, that t- tomorrow, whatever you learn evolved. And so you got to keep on learning, keep on digging in and figuring out what's going to, to work from here. You know, I'm, I'm still learning. I, I mean, um, there are people who I I know whatever and and they know me where we we feel like we're peers, but I'm still learning from them. You know, I'm looking at them like, all right, well, what are you, what are you doing over there? I want to, I want to learn what you're learning and maybe perhaps you can learn from me. And that's the cool thing about our industry. I think our industry is one of the most cool, coolest industries as far as, um, you know, getting along with each other. You know, there's some, some backstabbing industries. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't say that, you know, you know I, I haven't been in you know every facet of the game you know maybe in the business end or whatever there, there's a lot of sheistiness going on but as far as the creators mm-hmm. I, you know we, I'm, you've seen me on twitter i'm talking to, to guys who who i've never even met in person but we we talk like we're old buddies yeah, you know and, and that's the coolest thing you know i, I think like we no, nobody's trying to you know Step on somebody else's foot. It's not crabs in a barrel here. We 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 pushing each other up, and yeah. I, I love that about our industry.
0: Oh yeah, and not, and not only that, but not only can you talk to people within the industry that you may have never met before, but like I I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Social media is probably because of the advancement of social media. The com but the the comic creators or like. Or let me rephrase that. People who are in the comic book business, there's never been an easier time for people to just talk to them via Twitter. Now, whether they respond to you or not is a whole other story. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that just people in general can just like go and talk to a comic to somebody within the comic industry with no issue. Like I said, but like like I said before to a friend, it's not like if I'm on if I'm on Twitter or somebody else is on Twitter, they see Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt ain't gonna holler back at you, right? Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He ain't going to holler back at you. But there's a good chance that Ron Mars might holler back at you.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, I'll I shout out something to, to, like, Mark Wade or somebody, you know, that I respect that. I'm like, wow, he's he's a legend. And he, he'll talk back. You know, that's cool. That's
0: yeah, man. totally cool. Yeah, see, and I, I, don't, I don't think people understand how – I don't wanna say how good they have it, but I don't think they understand like how like the, the whole the balance of it all. It's like you can't talk to like Hollywood cats like that. Right. You know, you can't talk to, you know, to to a lot of music professionals like that. But, like, with the comics game, because, once again, I think that also has a lot to do with the fact that every other form of entertainment advanced and moved on, whereas where comics was still just left in this little niche hole, Uh people just think, oh, okay, yeah, we can go talk to these cats because they're not over there. They're over here. So we can go talk to these cats. And and then they do. And, I mean, it's cool. Don't get me wrong. It's hella cool. And also it can be hella scary. But, um... But I think people don't understand how good they have have it as far as access. Yeah, right. You know, it's, it's, it's a really, really great thing um, because you can learn. Uh, you can learn a lot. You can definitely learn a lot from these cats. When you are, you know, doing your lettering now, are you a PC person or a Mac person?
1: I'm a Mac guy. Okay. I'm okay. a Mac.
0: That's cool, man. That's cool.
1: <laughs> I mean, I remember back in the day, I was, you know, growing up, I never had a PC. It wasn't until college that uh, I started working on Macs. And when I when I first got to SCAD, that's where I went to school, um, there was this whole PC versus Mac war. And I'm like, what, 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 are, you, what are you talking about? It's computers. So, they're just, like, going on, you know, about the benefits of, of Apple versus PC. And you got the PC gamer dudes who were talking bad about the. It was crazy. Yeah. It was just ridiculous. And I, I couldn't get into it. I was just like, man, listen, it's a computer. I just want to work. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, yeah, and finally, you know, I'm, I'm working on these things. I'm like, wow, this interface is so cool. Oh, this is easy to do. Oh, the, look how bright these screens are. I don't know. It just started just getting in my head, like, wow, these are these are definitely, you know, some equipment that I need to use for the rest of my life.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, maybe I was brainwashed or something. I have no <laughs> clue. But since college, you know, I got my first little um, G3 mm. and I haven't looked back since. I've been a Mac guy since then
0: oh man the g3 I, I remember that era the g3 they came in like different colors yeah yeah <laughs> colors oh i remember those I, you know somebody had like the blueberry somebody might have like that uh that off that off color red
1: orange. yeah that ugly orange oh. I, I couldn't stand it
0: <laughs> yo that orange was atrocious it was, oh my goodness. It was awful. And, and you and like and if you had money, if you had like mad paper, you would have that color matching monitor that went with that color computer.
1: Right, right. And that was when the um the IMAX first took off. Mm-hmm. I mean they had to ooh. Ooh. <laughs> oh yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. People talk. i mean, I remember them days, man. Like you know, yo, I I just got my G3 with with, with Mac OS nine. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> I'm living, son. I'm living. I'm just like, hey, you got, hey, more power to you, more power to you. Like, um, in my profession, I have to float between both worlds. Right. And like, I want to do all my podcasting, I do all my podcasting on this Mac, like 2007 MacBook Pro, and uh, you know, I use a program like called Wiretap Studio, which is fantastic, right. and um. And now like I want another Mac I want like an iMac because because the way my office is set up, it would just really make more sense for me to have an iMac instead of instead of this MacBook Pro because I could do more with the iMac. And plus processor power wise, I need something with a little with definitely a little bit more of a oomph to it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But like on the other side, like right next to the to the MacBook Pro, I got my two monitors up for my PC. And so my PC is where like a lot a lot of my other work gets done because you know, because also like with this MacBook Pro, if I, if I if I unplug the power source, boom, it just turns off because the battery shot. Okay. And so, but still, but for its purpose, like at work, I flow. I still literally have to flow between two worlds and service two types of computers, both Mac and PC. And I've always been a Mac fan, and like, but also at the same time, there's certain things on the PC that I love. That yeah, I'm sure if I throw um, if I throw not boot camp, boot camp used to be the stuff, but uh but now it's a like uh, parallels. I throw parallels on here. I'm sure I could do it on the Mac side too. But there's something the to me is like something of this like this weird joy of having a Mac computer and a PC computer in my house at the same time. And my electric bill is like what the hell is wrong with you?
1: <laughs> <I hear> you. <laughs> do people like come to you for computer advice? Like I'm no. not talking like which to buy. I'm talking do they actually fix
0: their computers? Yo, yo, man, listen. Being in the IT world, you're automatically your family's computer tech support. Yes. It, it, it's, a, it's a given, okay? It doesn't matter whether it's your mama, your daddy, your grandma, your in-laws, your fifth cousin that only calls you when he needs money or needs his computer <laughs> fixed. You are the IT guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh my dude. I, this is the stories I could tell you. I'm getting a headache just thinking about it. But yeah, man, you become that dude. You become that dude. I know.
1: They're like, dude, can you come fix my computer? The the internet ain't working. Oh, this ain't working. It it could be like a simple thing where they just need to unplug the router, plug it back in, whatever. But they had me coming over to the house looking. I got a virus. Can you fix it? I don't know how to fix a virus. (laughs) Get a virus scan. I don't know, man. Oh, but yeah, yeah, they call you for everything, and it's just crazy. Yeah. Once once you work on a computer, it's like,
0: oh, you know everything. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they just look at you like, you that dude. I'm like, no, nah, son. Please don't bother me right now. <laughs> <laughs> I got other stuff I got to take care of. I, I hate you, man. I got so much other stuff to do. And, you, you, and basically, you just want a bootleg copy of Windows 8. Man, just leave me alone. <laughs> I'm like, you barely know how to operate Windows 7. I'm not giving you a copy of Windows 8. Yeah, man. <laughs> before, we, before we wrap up this uh, convo, the only one thing I wanted to holler at you about is like now, you know, growing up, you know, we like we watched our fair share of cartoons, read our fair share of comics, um, you know, that like got us excited to be a part of of this game and, you know, in, into getting us where we are now. Um, what w- what was that one cartoon or one comic book or one piece of pop culture that that like you carry with you to this day that you feel helped you? make that decision to where you are now
1: i can tell you as far as cartoons go yeah it's probably he man okay and i'm a, I'm a he man Ooh, i got figure action figures around my house that oh. everybody looking at me like why you still got he man <laughs> <laughs> so, but i love some he man i got i actually got the opportunity to work on um some digital um comics for the for the he man masters of the universe um run that DC was doing mm-hmm. um and I just learned that they got uh picked up for an ongoing series which is totally cool and I'd mm-hmm. love to be a part of that but I think they um they already have somebody else. you know I, I'm, I'm not gonna be too mad at that but all that's right. all right um <laughs> uh, but yeah He-Man was the cartoon that really you know opened it up for me as far as this is what I want to do yeah. like you know we were reading the um the, the, in the opening you read my my little um bio there and that I wanted to do cartoons. I wanted to um do animation and that was one of the things that got me there. As far as comic books go, um I didn't really get into deep into comics until I'd say the 90s. But before then, I was reading comic strips, you know, Garfield, yes. Calvin and Hobbes. That was my thing. Calvin and Hobbes, yeah. I could read for days. You know, I, I collected like all of the all of the collections and everything, and that was my thing. Yeah. And then um, finally, in the nineties, uh, a milestone came, and that was it. That was it. I was like, all right, I need to. This is how I want to tell stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading Blood Syndicate, Static, and um, every every I, I collected the whole the whole run. I had Cobalt. I don't think anybody knew about
0: Cobalt. Whoa, <laughs> damn Cobalt! So, you just yeah, took man. it back. Wow. Man. I was reading
1: all of them, and so like I collected them religiously. Uh, Icon and uh, Shadow Cabinet. And I, just, I would read every single one of those, and just and it was it was it was something to me, you know. Like and I can identify with these guys. That was that was the cool thing. It was um it was something mind opening to me, and I wanted to do that, you know. And, and at the same time, that that then led then led me to other comics. I was reading um, Joe Mad stuff and other artists. I was, it was mostly I was into the art. And I looked at the artists that that really, you know, shine to me and and like at that time I wanted to be an artist, so I was looking at theirs and, and kind of uh feeding off of those ideas. Yes. And now now if I'm looking at it, I'm looking at lettering <laughs> it's it's crazy how how your mind just alters. Like when you when you wanna do um the, the writing, you're probably looking at writing. When you wanna do the art, you're probably looking at the art and I'm I'm a letterer, so obviously the first thing that stands out to me with any book that I pick up is lettering. Yes. If the lettering is bad, I'm um, I probably put that down. Mm. It, it's unfortunate too, you know, because the book is probably just just off the hook, and i um, I look at the lettering, I just I just can't do it because I see so many mistakes or problems that I'm just like, eh, this can't be for me.
0: Oh yeah. Yes. I, I feel you. Now, see, you got, you done got me salty because you talked about them He-Man figures. And <laughs> and see, as a kid, I mean, I had a good amount of He-Man figures. They just somehow disappeared as I got into my teens. But when they started to bring out those um, like uh, Masters of the Universe, like uh, classics. The classics. When yeah. they brought the classics. And like, I'm not a big fan of Matty Collector because I think they'd be ripping people off. But, mm. like, when, but like when Toys R Us would have them, and I'm like, "Oh, they would like they would have like this slew of like uh, classics figures or they would have the two packs, with, the two uh, packs yeah. with, with like with like either two He-Man figures or like a DC Universe figure and a uh, Masters of the Universe figure?" Right. And I'm like, "Y'all got to come down off these prices. I uh-huh. make, I make comics. I work on computers for a living <laughs> for a for a university. I'm not paid. Y'all need to come down off these prices." But the one the one that I had to get was uh, the DC Universe uh, He-Man combo, and the only reason why I wanted it was for this He-Man figure. It was um, Green—it Lan- was Green Lantern on one side. It was Hal Jordan. I was like, "Ah, eh, that's all right, whatever." But on the other side was my dude uh, Zodak. Okay. And I was like, I want Zodak, because I never had Zodak as a kid. And then when they came out with the uh, the new He-Man, for Cartoon Network He-Man, which was hella tight. Yeah. And, and I'm still salty. I didn't collect those figures. And they brought Zodak in. And like Zodak kind of looked like a brother. And I thought he was a brother on the series, which, <laughs> dude, which got me so hyped.
1: Dude, I am so with you. <laughs> I am so with you. Dude, I was like, what? Because, you know, when, when you saw Zodak back in the day, he wasn't black. No. <laughs> 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 but now, oh, my man still toe to toe with He Man too. Yeah, I was. Like, oh, I was, I was on it. I yeah. was
0: on it. Oh yeah, like I remember, like I was recording those episodes on like VHS because this is before the DVR era, kids. And and like I was like, oh, Zodak is here. I was like, oh, snap. I was like, oh, wait a minute. They made him a brother and everything. I was like, yeah, we're going to keep this VHS tape right here. We ain't erasing this. And I was, man, I was hyped. But when that Zodac Greenlander and Combo Pack came out, I had to grab that Zodac. And um, and it's, it's great. And I remember for fun, because my wife... To this day, is still a big She-Ra fan. Mm-hmm. They had that She-Ra Supergirl combo pack, and so I bought it for for like Christmas a couple years ago. And she looked at that pack. She was like, "Oh, She-Ra, that's really cool." Because like, it's not really her thing, you know, action figures and like you know, like comic book culture really isn't that much of her thing. But she got that. And she saw the She-Ra and was hype, but she looked on the other side with Supergirl. She was like, man, she would whoop her ass. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yeah, that's my girl right there. That's my girl. So all right, well, listen, um, Duran, listen, I had a fantastic time uh, with you on the podcast today. I really appreciate you taking out the time to uh, talk about like the art of lettering and getting into like just the technical, the technical spots of um, you know one of the many facets of the comic book industry and its importance. And I really had a great time. Thank you for, uh, so much for for coming on the show, and you are welcome back anytime.
1: Thank you, sir. I no, totally appreciate it. and you know, It's a, it's a great opportunity for me to you know, finally get a chance to kick it with you. It's, it's totally cool, man. Thanks a lot for having me.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Oh, tell the people where they can find you on the internet. You can
1: check me out on my website, uh, www.andworlddesign.com. That's A-N-D-W-O-R-L-D-D-E-S-I-G-N. And um, you can also find me on Twitter. That's where... You find me rambling on and on and on and on, uh, and it's at Darren Bennett, and so you can find me there or on Facebook. Um, I couldn't tell you how to get me on Facebook, but look me up, you'll find me.
0: <laughs> Once again, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Uh, thank you so much, man.
0: And that concludes this week's black box. The black box is a member of the H H W L O D podcast network and is available at HHWLOD.com, where you can download previous episodes of this podcast, as well as Donnie Salvo's tales from the attic and John Carroll's, the Carroll Chronicles. This podcast is also available on iTunes. The black box is also a member of the comics podcast network. If you're on iTunes or the Forum for geeks board, feel free to leave us a comment. You can also reach the podcast at blackboxpodcast box podcast one at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next episode, dream big, hustle hard, and never stop.